everyone. Thanks so much for joining me on the Slice of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Jared Taylor. Joining me today, we have Sharon Woodworth, an architect at HED. Sharon, excited to chat with you. Yeah. So nice to meet you. A um, little bit about myself. I've had four careers. Architecture is the third one. The first one was uh, practicing pediatric trauma and cardiovascular nursing. Then I was an architecture critic, and now I'm a practicing architect. And I also teach architecture to physicians and nurses in a master's program at the University of California in San Francisco. And you have great art behind you. Yes, I do. Thank you. Are you a collector too? No, I wish I wish I had that amount of money, but I do not. These, those are those look like some nice pieces. They uh, it's, are. Yeah. It's uh, you know, I, I see the nice backgrounds and my additional thoughts kick in. I'm like, okay, that's cool. So I have to bring it up. You are the first architect, Sharon, that has ever been on our show, and it's it's really interesting because we've had a bunch of different people. We've had the executives from health systems, from payers, from digital health companies. But it's so interesting because, you know, all these people are working in buildings. Uh, you're helping to design these buildings. And I think there's so much more to it when it comes to healthcare side of architecture than we often discuss. So super excited to have you here today. Uh, can you give us an overview too, real quick, just of HED? Yeah. Uh, Harley Ellis Devereaux is a, a national firm, almost 100 years old. And in terms of our healthcare practice, we are East Coast to West Coast. Love it. And we have two core things that we're going to talk about here today. Um, one of which is designing to retain healthcare providers. So healthcare shortages are a major topic everywhere. Let's talk about how design can help impact that. You know, after COVID, this became a topic for every industry. Um, you've probably experienced it in terms of... Uh, even being in a restaurant. But in the healthcare world, if we do not have those physicians and nurses who are touching you, we do not have healthcare. Um, and I think from an architect's perspective, to advise the clinicians who come to an architectural design, I would say, put your oxygen mask on first. You know, we hear that on an airplane. And what I mean by that is generally a physician or nurse will be brought into an architectural project after the budget has already been set. And I would advise them to back up a little and look at what goals and aspirations they need to make the work environment not only safe for the patient, but safe for themselves. Um, and it's it's interesting because you may not see it in a budget and you may not see it in a drawing, but the design aspects that help staff feel a sense of respite and supported is sometimes as simple as having a back door to enter and exit a, a clinic per se without having to go to the waiting room. So there are aspects that can be done. Um, some clients are actually designing in not just a break room, but a place where staff can get away. And what we're finding from a design standpoint is, on the one hand, that respite or break room, it needs to be close to where they work, but it also needs to be private from patients. 
But here's the key. That room, no matter what you call it, break room or respite, you need to offer the staff a choice of socialization amongst their coworkers. So from a design point, it might be, you know, I've got a chair that completely encloses me and I can't see anybody else, or it's a bar that I sit at and I can hang out and talk to my peers. So those are the design things that clinicians can bring to the table for, for their own work setting. So I used to be in, uh, I used to do some work in the healthcare staffing space and occasionally we would have hospitals or, or other types of healthcare organizations that would buy up a property across the street so that they could house it as like a, a place where if someone was working a 24 hour shift or if there was a locum tenant or a travel nurse, they could stay there. I don't know, I'm, I'm assuming you wouldn't be allowed to do this, but are there ever people that are putting in um, like living situations for the people that are on the 24 hour shift? Like how often does that come into play? Oh my goodness, it's so interesting that you mentioned that. That has been the standard, actually, in healthcare settings in the UK. So it wasn't unusual up until about 10 years ago in the UK for there to be an expected six-day work week, and you're on campus, and that meant there was a dorm on site. That's also true in um, uh, Southeast Asia cultures for healthcare. In the US, the only kind of... Um, 24-7 support we see is actually for the physicians in terms of sleep room and by code that is required. That's re generally required either in an emergency department or sometimes an OB or surgery department. Super interesting. So we need to take a page out of the UK. Is that what you're saying uh, well, when it comes to this? No, I think the point that your question brings up is what can we do for this clinical staff beyond just making the work environment safe. You know, can there be a daycare for staff? You know, is there an opportunity for there to be uh, a dry cleaners near at hand? It's those peripheral aspects that make their coming to work and leaving work much more amenable so that when they're at work, they can truly focus. I like that. Okay, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. The the extras that what what type of extras can you give them within that 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 area that helps kind of lower those stress levels helps relieve them of some of the the issues that are are you know buzzing around their head throughout their shifts yeah. right yeah yeah so they can focus on you the patient I love that when we think Sharon about you know how how can design also support lean operational models for the staff. Well, a lot of people ask that question, and I need to clarify that there's two sides to lean. There's lean in terms of the architecture and the construction industry. That's a different process. And yes, granted, it should be lean and efficient. In healthcare, when we talk about lean, we're primarily talking about lean operations. And the first thing that comes to most people's mind is saving steps, literally walking steps. In other words, when you look at a drawing, how far does the nurse have to go from point A to point B? And the reason that's important is all of those steps reduce time away from being with the patient, be it a nurse or a physician or whomever. But you know, Taylor, what I like to say is, in terms of lean, less bad isn't always good. 
and I'll give you an example. Um, we talk about in lean healthcare operations, point of care or POC. So at the point of care, I'm going to draw your blood or I'm going to deliver some supplies. It's going to happen right at the moment. I'm not going to walk down the hall and do something. But if you have a point of care that is referred to as, let's say, a nurse server, and every room, be it a patient room or an exam room, has this drawer that has everything the nurse or physician needs in it. Wow. Point of care. That's totally lean. It's very efficient. The caregiver doesn't have to walk away to go get supplies or a drug. But here's the catch. If that supply system doesn't work into the entire medical campus, in other words, if the person who has to resupply that system has a different process in the next building over or the next floor, then you've just destroyed that point of care opportunity. So you have to, when you do lean operations, sure, you can solve one problem like, Waited, uh, wasted time in a waiting room. But in lean operations, it's critical to look at the entire process, just like I was saying for the staff in terms of a day in the life. You know, what do they need for amenities? It's the same for lean. Look at not just that one problem that you're worried about and you think is inefficient, but look at the whole process and everything that touches it. Love it. Well said. <laughs> I'm curious, you know, we're, we're heading into 2024. What some of your predictions are, do you think, as it relates to architecture within the healthcare industry, do you think anything will change? Will there be any regulations that affect uh, certain parts of what you do? I'm curious where you see healthcare architecture heading in 2024. Well, I'm going to ask you that question. What do you think my answer is going to be? <laughs> I have to read minds? Let's see. Uh I'll give you a hint. It starts with an A. What's happening in the world right now? AI. Well, I was going to say a lot. <laughs> a uh, lot. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, in general, but yeah, no, you're right. So, so in terms of yeah, let's let's. It wouldn't be a podcast right now, Sharon, if we don't talk about AI. So let's uh, let's hear how it's going to affect this. There you go. So, uh, rightly or wrongly. For healthcare, in terms of regulations, that's slower than mud or whatever metaphor you want to use. Yes, there will be changes. Yes, there will be regulatory changes, but our regulatory changes in healthcare have always been far behind technology. But almost on a monthly, if not daily basis, AI is accelerating and entering the healthcare world. Um, let me give you an example. We all now are used to walking into a room and the light turns on. When we leave the room, the light turns off. That same technology can already collect data. Who's in the room? How long are you in the room? What's the temperature in the room? What's the activity level in the room? And that's just about that one room. And our clients who own and operate a great deal of healthcare facilities, either nationally or around the world, are starting to collect that data. And they're using that data before a space program for a new facility is set. 
we have old traditional models that say, oh, we need this many exam rooms for this many physicians. Well, guess what? Data is now saying, no, actually what you really need is, and we can prove it with the data. So data is, is becoming a part of design. It's not necessarily drawing what the architect sits down at a desk to draw, but it's getting close. But it gives you that, just like you were saying, with putting in certain parts of uh, within a healthcare facility that helps simplify or make, a, make that healthcare provider's life easier. It's about giving you those tools, tools, right, for you as an architect that help you take that information, dissect it more quickly, and then be able to do your job even better. Well, right? I think to tell you the truth right now, it's not helping the architect so much. It's helping the client more. What it has done for the architect is, okay, we no longer draw a line on a piece of paper and erase it. Now we digitally build a model and we can press a button and have 1,000 models to show the client. And the architect uses their best judgment and narrows those thousand options down to three for the client to then make a decision about what are their goals. That makes sense. What, uh, what are you most looking forward to next year, Sharon? <laughs> In architecture? I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's two sides of the same coin. It's fearful and exciting at the same time. There, there will be changes. Uh, and I'm looking forward most to seeing which one of my clients stay ahead of the AI changes and engage them and they're not afraid of them. That's what I'm most looking forward to. But it's kind of scary because it's an unknown for me and for them. Makes sense. Well, I've, I've enjoyed our, our conversation and talking about a side of healthcare that I don't often get to talk about. Uh, it's such an important piece of it, right? But I'm I'm very appreciative that you came on and, and kind of talked about the architect uh, side of healthcare. Good. I hope everyone enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay.